0: The Lord be with you. It's Michael Solomink of Lutherans for Life with the Life-Minded podcast, equipping gospel-motivated voices for life. When this pandemic began, authorities were worried about a baby boom, Lockdowns were going to leave folks more time at home. Husbands and wives were going to occupy themselves with each other. Travel restrictions would reduce access to abortion and birth control. Pregnancies would swell and strain an already delicate economy. It didn't come about. Birth rates actually declined substantially during the coronavirus anxiety. December 2020, nine months after quarantines commenced, found births in Florida down by 8% compared to 2019, off by 7% in Ohio and 5% lower in Arizona. And these indicators confirm some seriously concerning societal trends. What are current worldwide birth rates? The United States Centers for Disease Control reported the fertility rate as 1.71 in 2019. For every female, 1.71 children were born that year. A total of 3,745,540 babies entered our population, down 1% from the year before. The fifth year in a row that births dwindled by an average of 1% and the lowest number since 1985. Now, demographers have defined replacement rate as 2.1 children per woman. This means that on average, each lady has to bear 2.1 children during her lifetime in order to sustain the society's population. She has one child to replace herself, one to replace her husband, and 0.1 to account for those who don't have any children. Our country's fertility rate has trailed behind replacement rate every year since 1971 the population's only growing due to immigration. Women 40 to 44 years old entail the only age group for which the birth rate increased, as it has by an average of 3% annually for this age group since 1985. Teenagers have experienced the most precipitous decrease in birth rate, down 73% since 1991. The overall global total fertility has sunk to half its level from the 1950s. Then, the planet was having an average of 4.7 children per woman, compared to just 2.4 in 2017. Half of the world's population now lives in countries with below replacement fertility. That's 90 nations in total. South Korea has the lowest rate of children born, at around one child per woman. Nigeria has the highest rate, nearly seven children per woman. The regions of Africa, the Middle East, South Asia, and Central America outpace those of East Asia, Europe, North America, and the Caribbean in fertility. It appears to correlate with income, too. Richer nations tend to have flat or falling birth rates, while poorer places enjoy larger families. The United Nations projects that Earth's population, which is currently 7.25 billion people, will peak at about 9.5 billion between 2050 and 2060. Officials anticipate that eight countries will account for half of the growth between now and then. India, Nigeria, Pakistan, the Congo, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Indonesia, and Egypt. Since 2010, 27 countries have seen reduction in residents of at least 1%, and researchers estimate that will happen in 55 more nations in the next 30 years, and 26 will witness citizenship contract by 10% or more. After that, statistical models forecast the worldwide population to drop rapidly. 183 countries out of the world's 195 are expected to experience fertility rate below replacement level by the end of this century, with a predicted total overall global rate of just 1.7 children per woman. One study calculates that already by 2050, people over age 65 will comprise one-sixth of the human race. Seniors already make up the fastest-growing age group in the world, and in 2018, they outnumbered children under 5 years old for the first time in history. Why have birth rates declined? Well, Americans are postponing marriage longer than ever. Studies show that the average woman in the States now doesn't take a husband until age 28. The median age of first marriage stood at 20 years old for women and just over 22 for men as late as the 1960s. Meanwhile, menopause arrives around the same time as always, leaving fewer childbearing years available. In addition, odds of infertility and adverse pregnancy outcomes increase as women approach and exceed 40 years old. Young persons, and even couples, state that they're delaying getting hitched and having kids for economic reasons. Significantly more Americans ages 13 to 22 say they feel it's more important to buy a home and make a lot of money than to marry, have children, and commit to a faith. They're pursuing education, career, leisure, and the perception of financial stability instead of family popular culture has pressured especially women to have it all and in a particular order and to use sexual license to help get that success. Children embody obligations that threaten or at least compete with that trajectory. So the United States Department of Agriculture publishes their computation of how much middle-income households spend on children each year. The most recent version sets the price tag at a sticker-shocking total of $284,570 to raise a single child from birth to age 18. Curiously enough, 29% of that goes toward housing. Now that's the same roof under which the rest of the family lives, so one might debate just how accurately that expense can be attributed to an individual offspring. And the analysis itself admits that outlays lessen for successive children because they share food, clothes, and shelter with the older ones. Nevertheless, one survey found that men and women today cite the cost of child care as the primary reason they forego procreating. And the ballooning of student debt probably plays a role as well. Yet, millennials, the generation of adults born about 1980 to 2000 and currently occupying childbearing age, they spend extensively on comforts and conveniences. 60% pay more than $4 for a single coffee. 70% will shell out extra to eat at the hip restaurants in town. Another 70% choose their wardrobes according to criteria beyond basic necessity. And they splurge more than previous generations on groceries, transportation, electronics, and hobbies. Of course, it helps that media darlings assure them that avoiding pregnancy eases overpopulation and climate change. Skip the child and save the world. Consider also the effects of technology. Planes, trains, and automobiles offer mobility with the right hand, but pilfer community with the left Very rarely do we grow old where and with whom we grew up. Internet and smartphones have us more connected than ever, just not connected to each other. Social media has supplanted personal interaction and authentic relationship. Promiscuity has replaced courtship and pornography has replaced intimacy and even intercourse. Depression and deaths of despair from suicide and substance abuse amount to epidemics in their own right. And the descent of birth rates coincides with the ascent of the sexual revolution. The development of hormonal contraception separated marriage, sexuality, and procreation. It discourages us from contemplating how our anatomies and our affections might serve someone outside ourselves. It reduces children from a resource to a rival and diminishes them from a delight to a discretionary activity. You can understand how today's adults, casualties of homes the baby boomers' beliefs left broken, don't want to subject the prospective next generation to the divorces they themselves had to survive. No wonder that Americans on average have, since the 1970s, determined 2.7 kids to be their ideal, about a boy and a girl apiece, instead of the larger litters that sustained civilization in centuries past. And it's no surprise that some of the states with the lowest fertility rates also appear to have the highest abortion rates, while some of the states with the lowest abortion rates have some of the highest fertility rates. In a moment, we'll question whether the planet's overpopulated and consider how many children makes too many. You're listening to Life Minded from Lutherans for Life. Did you know Lutherans for Life has a blog? You don't know what a blog is? Don't worry about it. If you're looking for the best blog about life issues, Lutherans for Life has it. Life on the Web at lutheransforlife.org. We survey and curate the Internet's ongoing conversation to bring you the best commentary from dozens of life-affirming outlets. We read the whole World Wide Web so you don't have to, and we'll keep you updated every few days. Life on the Web, the Lutherans for Life blog. Read now at lutheransforlife.org. We are the pro-life generation. That's what today's high school and university students are calling themselves. Why are youth for life? Lutherans for Life's Why for Life community helps answer the question. Why for Life engages and equips today's learners to be tomorrow's leaders through education, networking, and service. Learn more about bringing Why for Life to your church and school at whyforlife.org. That's the letter Y, the number four, L I F E.org. Welcome back to Life Minded, the podcast of Lutherans for Life, equipping gospel-motivated voices for life. I'm Michael Solomink. Today we're deliberating birth rates and big families. We've surveyed current worldwide birth rates and studied why they've declined. Now we're investigating claims that the planet's overpopulated. Isn't our planet overpopulated anyway? Anxieties about overpopulating the Earth date all the way back to the late 18th century. Thomas Malthus suggested that human population escalates by multiplication, while food production only accumulates by addition. An acre of ground can only support a finite amount of plants and animals, while each successive generation of a human community expands its quantity exponentially. Malthus hypothesized that apocalyptic consequences would occur unless childbearing subsided by force if necessary. Of course, those catastrophes never did come to pass because human ingenuity vastly amplified the capacities of agriculture and transportation and processing. But in 1968, a Stanford professor named Paul Ehrlich repackaged the panic for the hippie craze and peddled it in a popular paperback format. He prophesied imminent pandemics Famines, mass starvations, widespread rioting, and extinction. And he advocated aggressive public and government fertility reduction policies. But none of his hystericized calamities ever happened either. Still, certain environmental fanatics blame overpopulation for deforestation, fossil fuel depletion, animal endangerment, and climate change. But data don't support their assertions. You see, experts reckon 10 billion people, 10 billion people could have their nutritional needs met by present levels of food production. They also observed that in the last century, while human population has grown by four times, we've increased available fresh water by nearly twice that much. Dividing up the planet's land, each of us alive right now could have five acres of our own, half an acre of that a piece fit for cultivation. The state of Texas could house us all with fewer people per square mile than many cities. And cots to sleep the whole of humankind would fit side by side in Connecticut with the remainder of the globe for working and playing. Hunger and homelessness do continue to plague our race. These problems even predate complaints about overpopulation. But the best methods for addressing them all involve community and collaboration. History has frequently found that two billion heads are better than one. Societies have overcome poverty in the past by enlisting more buckets in the brigade. Further minds, not fewer ones, will multiply the creativity and the quickness of the solutions. Perhaps we simply persuade each other to become more comfortable with less luxury. It probably would serve us not to squander precious resources on population control or planned parenthood. Our underprivileged neighbors need material necessities, not lectures about sex. How many children makes too many? The scriptures don't stipulate an ideal family size. Our Heavenly Father rejoices in children, at each child and over every additional child. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, Genesis chapter 1. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them, Psalm 127. Let the little ones come to me, says Jesus in the 10th chapter of Mark's gospel. Let all the little ones come to me and do not hinder a one of them. The word of the Lord only ever speaks enthusiastically and approvingly about population growth. He promises Father Abraham many sons, outnumbering the stars in the skies and the sands on the shores. Academic computations have figured approximately 7.5 quintillion, that's billion billion, grains of sand occupy the world's deserts and beaches. And astronomical observations count about a hundred billion heavenly bodies in our galaxy alone, which is one of some two trillion in total. God blessed Job, an Old Testament epitome of uprightness with ten sons and daughters, and he did it twice for a sum of twenty youngsters. The prophet Malachi proclaims that the making of babies provides one of the primary purposes of marriage in his second chapter. Did God not make husband and wife one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. The history of salvation never presents procreation as a mechanical or automatic process of uncontrolled reproduction. Conception only occurs because the Almighty Maker opens wombs, as he does in Genesis chapter 30. And infertility takes place when he closes wombs, as in First Samuel chapter 1. God doesn't just remotely observe and passively authorize or dutifully accommodate his desires and designs to the human ones of man and woman he intimately knits and meticulously materializes the new human life together in mother's belly. Neither God himself nor any prophet nor a single apostle ever censures parents for proliferating their progeny. Indeed, the sacred writings celebrate large families as special blessings. Experience itself affirms that an abundance of sons and daughters and sisters and brothers brings more hugs, cuddles, and giggles, more lifelong friendships, more opportunities for learning interpersonal skills, more help around the house, more chances to influence the future, and more faces reflecting the love of God. Now, the Lord our God doesn't give this vocation of large family to everybody. And of course, any measure of family and offspring that he bestows represents a great benefit. But Christians need not despise bountiful households the way that the world does. For what it's worth, the only contraceptive method the Bible mentions involved a wicked man and divine retribution. And the good book frequently grieves barrenness. The now-sainted Mother Teresa of Calcutta once famously and sagely counseled, How can there be too many children? That's like saying there are too many flowers. And what comfort it is also to remember that he who sends the mouths also sends their meat. If he did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The one that the 50th Psalm assures us owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he will multiply nourishment miraculously if it's necessary, like five loaves feeding multitudes from Matthew 14 or manna in the wilderness of Exodus 16. In a moment, we'll reflect upon how we might improve perceptions about procreation. You're listening to Life Minded from Lutherans for Life. Have you ever wondered how to raise life-affirming kids? Would your Lutheran day school like to share the sanctity of life in age-appropriate ways? Owen's mission is the answer. Owen's mission is a special project of Lutherans for life. We'll present your Lutheran school with a set of four touch-of-life fetal models. They're the same gestational models that medical experts use. Your students and instructors will see and feel and believe that God creates, redeems, and calls every human life to be His own precious treasure. We don't mention abortion of bring up sex, just the wonder, worth, and purpose that God puts into all of us, no matter what our age or appearance or abilities. Learn more at lutheransforlife.org. Owen's mission at lutheransforlife.org. Do you believe we can do better than abortion, but you're tired of political controversy? Have you thought we don't need physician-assisted suicide, but you're fed up with offensive rhetoric? Lutherans for Life is your community. Life issues like surprise pregnancy and terminal diagnosis aren't about politics, public opinion, or personal choices. Life issues are people, people whom we know and love. Lutherans for Life doesn't campaign or lobby. We aim higher than just ending abortion or outlawing euthanasia. Lutherans for Life is gospel motivated with the joyful words of God and the message of hope in Christ Jesus. Speak truth and show love with us. Share life courageously and compassionately with Lutherans for Life. Visit lutheransforlife.org. Welcome back to Life Minded, the podcast of Lutherans for Life, equipping gospel-motivated voices for life. I'm Michael Solomon. Today, we're talking through birth rates and big families. We've identified current worldwide birth rates and why they've declined. We've reflected on claims of overpopulation and how many kids makes too many. Now we're exploring how we might improve perceptions about procreation. How can we improve perceptions about procreation? Above all, we recognize that every conception, every pregnancy, every delivery, every successive member of our species is a gift, and we receive them all as a privilege. Pregnancy never constitutes a sin, though sometimes it does come about as a consequence of sinful activity. And the Lord God himself creates, redeems, and calls each human life as his own precious treasure from fertilization to forever. Jesus regards childbirth as ultimate illustration of divine grace in John 16. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. The Revelation's seventh chapter envisions humankind's jubilation in the new creation as a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. So instead of would-be witty but ultimately callous quips like, Are those all yours? Or, You know how that happens, right? We may compliment and commend couples who engage in this holy calling. We can raise our own kids to cherish procreation, as well as adoption, more than any personal preferences or material possessions. Perhaps we ask our pastors to conduct congregations in studying the Scripture's encouragements about childbearing. Certainly, we include the will and the role of the Father Almighty in our considerations and intentions about family planning. Maybe we arrange a panel of parents with large families and listen to their wisdom. And of course, we savor on every occasion that our families whatever their dimensions, bestow the Lord's unconditional acceptance and relentless compassion in ever-increasing degrees. For Lutherans for Life, I'm Michael Solomink. For more information about the joy of the gospel and the sanctity of life, visit www.lutheransforlife.org. That's www.lutheransforlife.org. Until next time, thank you for listening to Life Minded. And remember that great minds think of life.